Hi listeners, just a quick warning. If you're offended by profanity, you might want to skip this episode. Thanks for listening to The Boiled Owl. Welcome to The Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. I'm Don. Well, hi, Don. I'm Sam. Sam, how are you? I'm snot slinging, Don, <laughs> but I'm not snot slinging drunk. That's what I used to say. I'm snot slinging drunk, but I'm snot drunk. It's not drunk. But you are uh, you have a little bit of a cold, but I can't really hear it in your voice, so I think it's going to be fine. It's because I have this wonderful, rich, mellow tone. you got the mellow tone. <laughs> Ooh. How you doing, Don? I'm doing well. I'm just sitting here recovering as hard as I possibly can. I'm trying to become a spiritual giant. <laughs> a spiritual gas giant. <laughs> what? <laughs> that would be... That's fine. A, a heavenly body. Indeed, you do have a heavenly body. It's rather spherical. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But I had to do that. And we have a guest. We do have a guest. She already, like, laughed. And she I mean, was laughing. Hi, who are you? Introduce yourself. <laughs> well, hello. My name is Alex. Hey, Alex. We're glad you're here with us. I'm glad you're here at the uh, Boiled Owl Coffee Club. And we have something special today. What's going on here? I'll just go over here. He's moving across the room. And bring out the deviled, boiled owl eggs. Oh my which gosh. Which I made, or homemade. Would you like a deviled, boiled owl egg? I, wow. I think so. These don't like have owl bits in them, do they? Mmm. <laughs> it's a deviled egg. It's beautiful. It's got a little spray of paprika on top. Oh, that was fantastic. Can I have yours? Don't talk with your mouth full, Don. Haven't you learned yet? Do you want me to regurgitate through your mouth like a mother owl? <laughs> no, but... Uh, okay, well you then, know, no, you can't have I'm sure everybody owl. really appreciates the visual. <laughs> Gross. Mm, that was that's pretty tasty, tasty, though. That's a tasty egg. I doubled it myself. Actually, it was a hen egg. It wasn't an owl egg. I've got to be rigorously honest. Yeah, well, it's about time. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me make that up to you. Can I make an amends for that? You're going to need to, but that's okay. You just keep me from getting a swollen head, becoming gassy. (laughs) (laughs) giant. It's not going to happen with you in the house. But... That's enough about you. We're here to talk about me. It's all about me. No, it's about Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi. <laughs> Alex, I think you you said the line the other day. I was talking to you after a meeting. It, it is from uh, from Beaches. It's Bette Midler, and it is the best alcoholic line I've ever heard in my life. That's enough of me talking about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> there you go. That sounds like alcoholic reasoning. It's all about me, and let's keep talking about that. Absolutely. First off, where's your what accent do you have? Where are you from? You got a North Carolina accent? I have a North Carolina accent. Well, 
fuck, I don't know. Um, it, it's whatever it sounds like, I suppose. Um, we were military, so, mm-hmm. um, mostly grew up here, but, um, it was flavored with all the people I grew up around, so I may have a word or two from wherever, I can't say. It is, <laughs> vocabulary is colorful and extensive, but the accent, shit. You don't know where it comes from. It's a hodgepodge. But it's, it's North Carolina. I would, I would, yeah. I would go with that, yes. Um. You're a dialectal mutt. <laughs> yes, and and, um, and a Heinz fifty seven and, and everything else, but you know it's all good. <laughs> well, how old were you when you got sober? Twenty one. Twenty one. I was so legally able to buy for a, a short period of time, and then it got well. It remained weird and got weirder. <laughs> did, yeah. Well, did I mean? Did it become uh, legal to buy alcohol? Be, was that part of your bottom? To no, actually, um, my behavior may have marginal, marginally improved. Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so you've been drinking a long time, and uh, well, actually, about three and a half years, I had uh, started um, snorting things when I was about eleven. You know, when you're 11, you can't really go find the the heroin and the crack and the so cocaine and paprika stuff. Paprika, so, right? Well, really, anything about the house, you know, nail polish remover and markers and is this glue true? And, uh, no, I'm making shit up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I did the same thing when I was. My grandmother got on me and uh, gave me a spanking because I was uh, <laughs> went to the uh, uh, laundromat. Yeah, and at the laundromat where they have the soap boxes that come down, you put in a quarter and the soap boxes come down. I think it was the powder ten cents. The powdered stuff and powder would gather on, on a little ridge at the bottom, <laughs> and it seemed like a good job. <laughs> and I would, I walked over there, and I'm talking about I was eight, and was like, oh, I think I'll snort that, and was pinching it and snorting it, and it, was, it would make my head. You would just pass out like nothing fun would ever happen. You'd just sort of feel weird. But it's then... weird. What a kind of ink, what is it about people like us that makes it think that that's a good idea? I, I got, know because y'all sound weird. <laughs> I got sober and my mom, you know, and she learned about these sorts of things because I sort of flew under the radar, so to speak. And she, why would you do that? Why on earth? She was like, I don't really understand the drinking, but. You know, normal people drink. She's normal people don't fucking do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, it seemed like a good idea at the time. So you know, pixie sticks. That uh, <laughs> they had nail polish remover pins that would mm-hmm. fit right up your nostril, perfect. And uh, I guess so, they don't make those anymore for that reason. Not that I found. No, not <laughs> that I I have that need anymore. But uh, no, I'd only been actively drinking the alcohol for about three and a half years. But um, I had I had come up with some fun ideas before that, and uh, so twenty one I guess was was when. Uh, well, hell, I don't know. I'd already sort of made the distinction. I was going to die drunk and alone. You made that distinction when? Um, when I was twenty, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd already tried all kinds of. Ideas, ways, I picked up exercise once as a uh, method to stop drinking. Oh, I thought you were going to say as a method to kill yourself. Uh, no, well, <laughs> it came to be that that's almost what happened. Okay, so, you know, I, I tried, you know, all kinds of shit, you know, religion and did psychiatrists and drugs and blah, blah, blah. Well, I was like, exercise, I haven't tried this shit. And so I got good and drunk beforehand because 
<laughs> you gotta prepare for these things, okay? You get drunk before you'd exercise? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you gotta ease into this. Right. And um, so, this was, I was, I was a whiskey person myself, but I wanted to be healthy. Because that was, you know, I was going to start this new healthy lifestyle and it would help me moderate. And so I got Jaeger and peach tea. And it peaches, so, you know, it's fruit. It was healthy. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> so I drink, you know, what, whatever this is of the Jaeger, you know, that it, that it comes in. And, um, and, and a big old gallon or half gallon of, of peach tea. And I, I got this strap thing where you had those big old CD players. So I put this on and, you know, and I get my running shoes on and I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting prepared. And uh, so I start running and I got about a half a block and I died. And, and I was on the ground and I was dying and I was heaving, but I wasn't heaving anything. I mean, it was just sort of the, oh, and, and I'm breathing very heavy and I needed someone to come get me. But I didn't, I didn't plan ahead and I didn't have a, you know, a life alert or a cell phone or anything. So I'm just <gasps> on the side of the road. And so I crawled my way. I mean, we were military, you know, so I'm like crawling my way back. <laughs> <laughs> and I get into the house and I'm like, <gasps> but I fling the door open and I'm, 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 I'm on the threshold and I'm like, Amy, we can't do this. And she's like, what? And I'm like, exercises. It, it is not going to solve my problems. And uh, so she helps me over to the couch, and I, I went over there, and I died. And I had to go to work the next day. And uh, I was working at Walmart at the time, and if you want something to piss everything you've got, go fucking work at Walmart. And uh, so I roll up to Walmart, and, uh, and I'm on the self-checkout, and nobody knows how to use a self-checkout anywhere ever. And all of a sudden, I get these horrible cramps, and I'm over there, and I'm I'm about half my normal size because I'm crinkled up like a little dead spider, and uh, and I <laughs> and I hit the button, and I said, I I need help, and uh, it, you know it's Walmart, no one comes to help you. <laughs> and that was a PA announcement. <laughs> need to help. <laughs> and so about 10 minutes later my manager comes over and I am not there because I had I had radioed out that I needed help and no one came so I had gone to the bathroom and I was I was dead again and so I, I come back out and apparently my my color's never so good but it was really not so good my manager looks at me she said you okay and I said no. And she was like, well, you think you can continue to work? I said, no. And she goes, well, you have to. And I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, Exer and I mean, in my mind, I'm going to exercise. It's the damn devil. Never mind that I got up the next morning and continue, you know, I had to recover. So a little more. I did not do the Jaeger and the peach tea because coupled with the exercise, that was, I'd put a moratorium on that for the moment. But, you know, a little little whiskey, a little vodka to get you going. 
and uh, I'm back at work. It wasn't the alcohol. It was the peach tea. Exercise. It was the exercise. It was the exercise. The other stuff was just, you know, I had to, I had to, you know, I had to recover from the exercise. So, <laughs> so anyway, finally, they spent about 30 minutes without me, and people probably stole thousands of dollars worth of shit at Walmart, because I was like, oh, I was like, free shit for you, and free shit for you, and free shit for you. <laughs> and so I spent, You told them that? I, or you just weren't paying attention? No, I just sort of threw up my hands and went into the bathroom and threw up everything else, mm-hmm. and it was coming out every orifice I had. Uh, it's, I, an, it's, it's enough. Information. <laughs> eyes and ears, and I, oh, it was horrid. And so I come back out in my color, and, and I said, I, I have to go. And, and she goes, well, well, gosh, you just look awful. And I said, I had rotten peaches. <laughs> <laughs> and they let me go. But, oh, Jesus, shit. Don't ever try exercise to quit drinking. That That is that is the moral of that story. It will not help. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, all right. Now, you just had a uh, an anniversary, right? I did. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I seem to recall that uh, as I was inquiring about the type of cake we were going to have, there was no there cake. There was no cake. No cake. And I also noticed that, you know, even though you said there would be pie, fruit pie, there was no pie. Well. But I'm going to get you a peach pie now. Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, free pie. I like it. <laughs> Apparently, she no longer has a problem with peaches. Yeah, peaches, it's turned uh, out the peaches are okay. Well, as long as you don't pair them with Jaeger or exercise, peaches have yet to bother me. I mean, I blamed everything on other than alcohol for the longest time. It wasn't ever the alcohol that was the problem. So what was it like for you to surrender all of everything about alcohol and decide to get sober in AA? Oh, let's see. I remember, and uh, and I used to think this was the, the grandest epiphany ever. I was... Uh, I was... Sorry, I got to break into a little Chuck Berry here. Riding along in my automobile. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he died this year. God rest him. Anyway, so I was driving down down the road, and uh, I was high as a kite. And um, and I had an open fifth of uh, Jack Daniels, and I was, I was pissed at something. I was always pissed at something, but I was really pissed at something. <laughs> I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I ended up throwing the cap to this Jack Daniels. And um, he, and I remember thinking, that, uh, Whiskey Lullaby was on the radio, you know, and the, the heart-wrenching bullshit. And, uh, and I had thrown the cap, and I was like, fuck. When I get pulled over, because it was coming. I mean, it, it had to be coming. I was I was not driving like a like a sane person. Um, you're expecting to get pulled over. I was expecting to get pulled over. Of course, you know you drive real careful when you're high. You're driving about like <laughs> 45 under the limit. You know, yes, yeah. I'm at 20 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, down down the 75 strip, and they're kind of going. Yeah, all right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, you know. Anyway, so I remember thinking. I was going to get in so much trouble because I was driving with an open container. Never mind the fact that I'm carrying drugs. I am higher than a kite. I've, there's about, I, I keep forgetting this is not a, not a visual thing, but there's not a whole lot left in this fifth. 
but an open container because yeah. I, and I'm I'm down here, you know, no get you for that. <laughs> digging through the detritus. That's the big problem here. The detritus <laughs> on the floor of my car, looking for the the cap to this to this fifth, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, like I can't continue to live this way. That was the first night that I remember very, very clearly, like nothing horrible had happened. Like I wasn't, you know, with the foxhole, dear God, you know, how the fuck did no, I you re- here? No, you realize you're a lifestyle manager. You know, I was just driving, riding on my mobile, and I was like, fuck. And I thought that was this huge epiphany. Did nothing, you know? Kept drinking, kept using. Yeah, but it's, you, you'd never seen it as a problem before, maybe. Well, Is that right? not out of the blue. Uh-huh. You know, I had been in, oh God, my life is in imminent danger, as in I may die in the next 10 minutes from, you know, all manner of things and people and whatever, but just riding along in my automobile, you know, just, yeah. I mean, it's not like this was the first time I'd ever ridden along with drugs in the car, hired mm-hmm. the kite with an open container. Drunk off my ass. This was this was a relatively normal Tuesday night. Not that I know it was a Tuesday night, but it right. seems par for the course. And I was just like, all of a sudden, I was like, what am I doing? So, so an awareness that when you say out of the blue, rather than um, based on consequences, right? It was just I'm living my life right now. I'm drunk and high. I'm doing all this shit, but I'm living my life right now. And holy shit, my life is out of control. <laughs> right. Okay. Got so it. what'd you do? So what happened? Oh, I continued drinking and getting high. For, awesome. <laughs> for, for how long? For another eight months. Eight months. And then eight. what was the end like? Uh, well, I, you know, and, and every time I tell my story, I kind of wish there was some fucking event, like the, the apocalypse, the end times, the fucking, you know, the last debauch. You know, it is always darkest before dawn, you know, that, that right. big book shit where you're just like, I am, you know, Thelma, you know, I am riding towards the cliff and, you know, beer but off. But it's and an inside thing. Nothing fucking happened. I woke up one morning and, um, and I remember spending the whole day, uh, this was May 4th, 2008, my sobriety date is May 5th, and the reason I say that was because I was fucked up till about 6 o'clock in the morning on May 4th. And I spent all day on May 4th trying to figure out how to get... My, my weed man was not very um, delivery-oriented. You had to go to him. And, uh, <laughs> Aw, blasted customer service. I know. I, I mean, I worked at Walmart. I get it. But, you know, it, 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 trying to figure out how to get drugs delivered to me, I had, I had sort of uh, ended a lot of, uh, you know... It burned a lot of bridges, and no one really wanted to deliver drugs to me, mm-hmm. you know? They were like, you know, you're, you're pulling up to the weed man's house. But I really wanted to make, like, a weed stir-fry or, you know, something, like, more executive than brownies, but, like, not, <laughs> you know, like, I was highly motivated internally. Highly. High being the keyword, <laughs> but I stayed in bed all day, and uh, and my sister was like, you know, you were fucking weird, like you were weird for years, but you were just like weird that day. And the next morning, I woke up, and it was it was that that ugly cry, you know, that you hear about that you've got snot and they snot, hey, snot, yeah. snot, yep. Sam, it's not ugly, Sam. It's not ugly. No, it's really ugly. <laughs> you know, you have this just everything fucking leaks and like every. 
moment of your life has led up to this and you're just and you can't even put it into words and you just cry and your sister comes down and she's like who died and you're like nobody died and you're just doing the carry-on she's like what the fuck is going on and uh and apparently i could barely get it out of my mouth but i was done and, and all i can account that to is grace because like there was no you know burning bush i've always wanted to see a burning bush it wasn't a final a big final crisis no, no final exam it was no, an internal nothing. job that, yeah and, uh, i get that that's the way it was yeah. for me i didn't do it there wasn't anything crisis it oh. was just a, a realization a li i thought i call it a lifting of the veil i could see the truth of my drinking and i wasn't fooling anyone was what happened to me my, from what i've heard of so many people's stories None of us knows for sure when the last drink is until after it's happened. Right. That's true. So the, the, the lesson there is every time you get drunk, make it huge. <laughs> no shit, dude. And, uh, this might be the last time. I mean, I'm like, my last day, I had grand ideas of making pot stir fry. You know, why wasn't I out there, you know, doing, doing all this Thank goodness you did shit. that last day. And, uh, you know, my, my first sponsor's husband, who was probably, he probably sponsored me, you know, about 30%. Uh, good guy he used to call it um you know we had all these conditional surrenders where you're like behind behind the lines you know waving the white flag but you're reloading you know you got one more plan one more idea and uh and this was was unconditional surrender i had you know guy had tried exercise <laughs> that was obviously <laughs> you know doctors psychiatrists drugs religion institutionalizations you know all this sort of stuff and it just it wouldn't work and um and this was that unconditional all right i'm you know you help me like i fucking told my parents like they you know i was like i don't know what to do were you living at home no um I was um, you were with your sister. She the, about my my address about forty percent of the time was with my sister, and mm -hmm. the other sixty percent was with whoever would have me wherever I ended up or the car. <laughs> so. gotcha. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, did, have you heard of AA? Yes, um, I was. I was actually one of those. Um, I was AA was suggested to me after about two weeks of drinking. And, um, for a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I said I only drank for three and a half years, but I made them count. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I was I was 18 years old, and uh, I was literally within a week. I was sleeping with uh, bottles under my pillow. The 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 closet was full. You know, it's under the bed. It was in the car. It was it was fucking everywhere. And um, I did not draw a sober breath for for three and a half years. And wow. people, people were like. Have you heard of AA? And I'm like, I don't like cookies. Or cake. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know cake was an AA thing, but, you know, I was like, I'd heard of cookies at AA. And I was like, nah. Defining AA as cookies is, oh, you know, is a misunderstanding of what it's about. <laughs> yeah, only the good groups have cookies. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But I still don't like cookies. Well, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You'll get there. I eventually did. Um, apparently, my my first week, I was I was a bit frightening. Um, I I smashed a lot of furniture. Was was what I was told. Um, In the AA meetings? No, 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 no. no. Um, <laughs> frightening I, at home. Yes, they did not have a treatment center available for me. So you got sober 
At home. At home. Yeah, that's what I did. And We're detoxed at home. Yes. Detoxed at home. Yes. Yeah. And God bless the people. Did you have hallucinations or DTs or just did have wild emotions? I I shook and I threw up I shook. and mm-hmm. you know all that sort of stuff. The the hallucinations were were not nearly as creative as the ones I had that I, I self induced. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, apparently normal people haven't heard of these. So possibly it was a it was a coming down sort of thing. But shadow people, um, which I thought were relative. I I am a fan of horror myself, but uh, I thought they were. <laughs> reasonable apparently normal people are like the fucker shadow people <laughs> so you I'm know about them in another fellowship <laughs> oh well and there is that and um and smashed mirrors and you know and lit and apparently i was very menacing i used to carry uh pocket knives and stuff my sponsor told me i couldn't do my nails anymore at the meetings with pocket knives because it seemed threatening <laughs> So I don't do that anymore. You're making the people around you nervous. I did. I did. I made people around me very nervous. I heard. Never mind that it was an eight-inch pocket knife, right? Never mind that. (laughs) This is so interesting because you are you are completely non-threatening. I mean, I don't, I don't, I've known you for a few years, and I do not experience you as being a threatening person. I was, I was extraordinarily violent uh mm-hmm. violent individual and um the majority of that was made up but uh because you know it's persona yeah persona i wanted to be the marlboro man um you know just sort of badass and i i hate horses myself i rode one one time and not since then but the marlboro man was sort of like my ideal like he was a fucking badass like and if you do that like you can do what you want you can get drunk you can get high nobody's gonna fucking mess with you well people wanted to mess with me so i had to you know be otherworldly and vaguely threatening and carry around use an attitude to keep the people away yeah i slept with rebar you know good times (laughs) (laughs) i'm afraid to ask about rebar well, what had happened was um, I was I was actually I was living in a crack house at the time, and um, and people kept and I had my little room with my little stuff, and people kept breaking in and stealing my shit, and I was not a fan of people breaking in and stealing my shit in and, a crack house. In a crack house, <laughs> you know. I Let's mean, be clear on that. Okay, <laughs> there are some things that are sacred. Okay, there might have been other places to sleep, but go ahead. <laughs> So there I was in the crack house, <laughs> and um, so anyway, uh, it was it was actually my my best friend's house, but there were a, a an enormous amount of people that lived there that didn't pay rent there, right? And um, and there was was crack and, and some other stuff. So anyway, I got some rebar, I got some locks, I got some things, and. Uh, and I kept an inventory. I kept a very detailed inventory of my shit. <laughs> oh, good. Because so, we keep an inventory in AA. But I, <laughs> my alcohol. You had some training there. My alcohol, my DVDs, my shit. I had my rebar and I had my pocket knives and I had my shit. <laughs> I'm so glad I know you today. I know, Alex. That's a lot the... of fun back then. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lot of fun today. <laughs> wow. It's like, this is like... Um, I've heard uh, speakers and sat there and listened to someone speaking going, that is not the person I know. Yeah. Because it's a a different, 
getting sober, we become different people. We totally do. We totally do. I have experienced so many times. I mean, it, it is it is much more common for this to be true for me than not, that the people that I come to know in AA, I can't imagine you sober. I mean, no. can't imagine you sober, Don. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine you drunk. Right. Um, I, I, I can't imagine you drunk, uh, Alex. It's, it's just one of those things of... It, especially when I hear the story <laughs> of what you were like. Right. It's like, holy Different. shit, that Older is not that. anywhere close to the person I know. Hey, hey it, it definitely does. Um, you know, I was, I was actually at a meeting last night, and there's a woman I know probably about six years, and she's relapsed a couple times. And, you know, just even hearing just little brief snippets, I'm like, oh, gosh, she didn't do that shit. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, she did. Probably did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, you can't make this shit up, you know? It's crazy. I heard a, a speaker uh, last year that um, uh, she she's a school teacher, and she's, I guess she's probably about 30 years old, and she dresses in these fantastic, uh, in some cases they look like they might be 1950s housewife dresses that are just like fantastic i mean and she the makeup's perfect mm-hmm. and she's just like she's perfectly adorable and princessy even <laughs> and then she told her story and it's like oh my god you're my best friend ever you and i in the trenches doing the most sordid things in our drunken high lives mm-hmm. i couldn't believe it shocked me yeah that really it was such a completely different person mm-hmm. yeah it's cool stuff. So how did so share with us something of once you came to AA where there was a real change inside of you that you can like a, a spiritual change. How did that happen to you? Okay, well, there are two things, and I will tell you the second one because it's my favorite story. Okay, and uh, and I always tell people if you've heard this story, don't stop me because I'd like to hear it again. <laughs> and, uh, Great. <laughs> It, it's one of my favorites, you know. I, I got I got into the rooms and I started doing the deal, you know, and everything. And uh, my my sponsor was one of those. She handed me a big book and she said, "Read it as though your life depends upon it," because clearly it does, <laughs> you know. And um, and and so I was out there in the world doing stuff, you know. And I would meet with her, you know, and and I sort of started to to kind of kind of get this deal a little bit with the steps, you know. And I was I was reading the book, I was reading the book because. I didn't get sober around young people or, or women or people, you know. And uh, so, you know, you'll see people in meetings kind of nudge their buddy and be like, what are they talking about? You know, I didn't have that. Like, everybody had like 30, 40, 50 years. And I'm like, well, they know this stuff. I'm just going to be over here looking for answers. And uh, my sponsor was one of those. She said, I will never ask you to do anything that's not in the big book. And uh, so I was always reading the big book like she's asked me to do something. Is that you know, trying to figure out if she was lying, and uh, and that was a, a neat trick she used to get me in the book. I think. But <laughs> you were trying to catch her out. I was. <laughs> but you know, and uh, so anyway, um, so I started doing this deal, and um, at about six months over, I was, you know, like ten, eleven, and twelve. You know how they kind of grouped that shit together, and they're like, you know, do this daily inventory and. You know, try and get closer with your higher power. And where I got sober, you didn't really sponsor anybody because nobody was really coming in. But you'd go out to treatment centers and shit like that. So that's what we were doing. And then I met a boy. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and and he told me that, that I was okay. And I thought he was okay. And that went well. So we were in love. 
And uh, <laughs> so at 11 months over, at 11 months over, let me repeat myself. Um, I had known the man for, for, for five months. We get married. And, um, and, and that, that was just a shit show. Truly, it was a shit show. Um, we had uh, bats in this uh, in this place that we lived. The little winged things. We had rats, the little crawly things, and roaches. <laughs> and we had black plastic trash bags over the windows. There was abuse. You know, it was just it was absolutely wild. And um, if for God's sakes, I had known him for five months. Where was this shit coming from? Like, you know, we're we're one step above temple all hats here. And um, so anyway, but marriage is forever, you know. And um, so... Uh, was and there any drinking involved? Was he drinking? He was. Um, he told me he wasn't. But as evidenced by the statue to Heineken with the, the cardboard boxes over in the corner, there was drinking involved. And um, But not on my part. And um, so he started building bombs and, you know, it just, it just went really weird really quick. And... Um, the desire to drink came back, which I feel it's important to, to sort of throw out there that it was not a, it was a surprise, but I hadn't been going to meetings. I'd only been calling my sponsor to, to bitch about what a, what a shit show, you know, my life was and how to get my husband to like me and, you know, all this sort of stuff. I had not, you know, been praying and reading the book, please. You know, I was stuck on like one page that might make this, this shit work out, you know. And, um, and the desire to drink came back and I remember laying there on the bed and I had one leg hung off the bed like we do when the world is sort of spinning. I was sober, but <laughs> there was Heineken in the fridge and I was like, you know, a beer would make this better. And I'm like, oh wow. wow. And I've been dealing with abuse and all kinds of crazy stuff for a long time. And that was sort of okay at the time because I didn't know how that was going to work out, but I know what drinking will do. You know, I know, I know how that kills me and I, and I wasn't willing to do that. So within, um, a day I was gone and, um, so I was, I lived with my sponsor for like two, three days. Um, cause I was getting an apartment. I was getting the stuff turned on. You know, I was all what, of a, what are you saying? When did you live with your sponsor? I, I left him. Oh, you left him. And, uh, and I moved in with my sponsor for like, you know, I was like the little cartoon character with the stick with the red handkerchief. And I was like, you know, off we go. And, uh, so I lived with her for like three days to get, you know, my power and my stuff turned on in this new apartment. And, um, and I was thrust into adulthood, you know, I never lived on my own and all this sort of stuff. And I'm 22, 23, I don't know how old I was, but young. And, uh, I think I was 23. Anyway. And, uh, so just panicked internally but I'm holding it together I'm holding it together so I was working at Walmart you know and, and I had to go to the Piggly Wiggly to to get uh my lights turned on or my heat or something we didn't have heat we didn't have it was it was a shit show at the house so uh, I went over there to well, get, why did you go to the Piggly Wiggly to get your lights turned because on? that's apparently what you do <laughs> I was, um, it, it, it was one of those things like Duke Energy or wherever. Like, I grew up in a little tiny town, okay? And That's where you got it turned on. Yeah, so. and you oh, had okay. to, you know, I don't know. It was the thing. I had never been to a Piggly Wiggly in my life. I had never been to one since. A Piggly Wiggly is a grocery store. It is. People who don't it know. is. And, um, and I'm on my lunch break from Walmart, and it's, I'm not making a lot of money at this point, okay? I'm, I'm barely holding on, you know, my sobriety is just like on a razor edge because mm -hmm. holy shit and I believe in marriage but I got to get divorced because he's off and, mm -hmm. you know, 
And uh, so I walk into the Piggly Wiggly, and uh, it's like $200 to, to get your lights turned on or whatever. And they say, uh, it's going to be, and you go to this little counter, you know, the woman's behind the glass. or And uh, she says, it's going to be $201. And I'm like, <sighs> and I'm like, okay, I'll make the check out for $201. No, the dollar has to be in cash. I don't have cash. Okay. So I lose my shit a little right there. And I'm like, I'm going to make you a $201 check. I'm going to need you to fucking sort this shit out. Like, and she's like, no, it has to be, because it was like their little, we click the button or something, dollar fee. It was retarded. So anyway, she's like, it has to be in a dollar. And I'm like, bitch, I don't have a dollar. It's Friday. I got to go. Like, I'm, I'm you know. And she's like, it must be. It was like the DMV. Like, she was Gibraltar. There was no move in this bitch. And I was like, oh, God. And so I'm like, stay right there. And she's looking at me like, where the fuck am I going to go? And uh, so I go out to my car. And I'm, like, flinging things everywhere. Just like, it, it's a theme throughout my life. I'm digging through my car for shit. And so I piece together 42, 67s. I mean, some, some amount of change that is not a dollar. And my my world ends right there, like bigger bottom than when I was drinking. Just fucking lose it. I'm just like, <gasps> and um, you were prepared to have two hundred dollars. I had two hundred dollars. I even had two hundred one dollars. I just not have one dollar in cash. And this little black guy comes up and he comes out of fucking nowhere, and he taps me on the shoulder and he said, "Ma'am, did I hear you say you needed a dollar? Lose it." I mean, I was just like, and so I take the dollar and I just start crying like I've never cried before in my entire life. And, you know, after about 30 seconds, breeding kicks in, you know, and then turn around to thank him and he's fucking gone. And, um, and I don't know if, you know, I, I happen to believe that, that my higher power sort of ordains people to like, I don't like the word ordain, but whatever, it works, you know, to, to be in our lives when we need them. And, um, so there's probably some little black guy running around out in the world that he has no idea that he fundamentally changed this woman's life for the cost of a dollar. But at that moment, I knew that whatever I needed in life, I would have. Like, my higher power was like, I got you. Whether it's a dollar, it's a place to live, it's your sobriety, whatever it is, I fucking got you. And that was at, like, a year and a half sober. And that, you know, I sort of had those little tiny God moments before then, you know, driving around where you're not, like, the fucking band is playing at, like, a thousand miles an hour in your brain and the squirrels running loose and just absolute insanity that it was just, like, a moment of quiet. But that was the moment that that flimsy reed, you know, became the loving and powerful hand of God that I was, like, and, and since that moment, it has been absolutely unshakable that God's got what I need you know, provided that I believe had I stayed in that relationship, had I stayed, you know, whatever, I wouldn't be here. And, um, so that was, that was it for me. That was when this entire program, like I'd done the steps, like, but you know, this program became real at that point. And I was like, this, this is it. And, uh, so that was the moment was, um, and, and so it's, it's one of the things that I advocate for kindness because you never know whether it's, give a person a dollar, give them a sandwich, you know, it's a dollar to me, it's a sandwich, but it could fundamentally change that person's life because that's what happened for me. And you were ready to 
allow that that was God working in your life? I did not have an option, I don't think. Um, but you it, said you had worked a step, so you had heard of such a thing before. Oh, yeah, and, you, I, and I thought suddenly I'd Suddenly you had developed trust. I thought I'd had a spiritual experience before mm -hmm. then, and really what I had was sort of, I, I guess, you know, kind of that that grace period where we're sort of figuring this thing out, you know, mm -hmm. which I believe, you know, sort of happens for us when we're not like Bill and it's, you know, all of a sudden this complete God consciousness is like, bam, you know, it's sort of that uh, educational variety that I was kind of walking through and I was, I was doing the deal, but it never was real. Most of the time, when I've had intense spiritual experiences, it's been at times of great pain, when I'm in times yes. of great pain. And so you were like in a, at a point of a complete emotional bottom over a dollar, but it was, <laughs> but I mean, you were, you had been fighting and fighting and fighting, got to the place that you just completely surrendered this, this thing because you saw, you got help from an unexpected source. Mm -hmm. And regardless of the marshalling of your will, no matter what bulldozing you were doing, <laughs> it yeah. was not going to happen no. without help. And, and help I got that up. help. That was an amazing story. It an is. Absolutely amazing story. It's one of my favorites. It made me think of a Rumi, not Rumi, I'm sorry, Kabir. It was a Sufi mystic, 13th century, and his poetry, I really relate to it. And it written 13th century and it speaks about my life it's just i knew you were old but damn the, God. The, 13th century I, <laughs> <laughs> don't get me i was drinking a long time i really oh. am i mean you, you call me an old timer you you don't know <laughs> the meaning of the word old but kabir said and he calls he he's talking about god and he's calling god the guest and uh, the, the line goes, uh, when the guest is being sought for, it's the intensity of longing for the guest that does all the work. And the, where it's meaningful for me is, it is in my surrender and total giving up is where I have been open to be able to see that there's something larger than me that's a that's a inner resource and that's happened to me from time to time at, but it's at times uh, just the first time it happened to me was sitting on the porch and i hadn't drank in two weeks and i was shaken and ready to blow up and i asked god I've, people had talked about praying in aa and i was like i don't want to do something that's foolish. <laughs> I don't want to appear foolish. Nonsense. No, <laughs> especially if no one's around to see me, but God, who might judge me as being foolish. Even, yeah, even though no one don't was around. Me. But I was desperate. I mean, I was, I, something had to give. I was going to get drunk. So I, I asked for help. I asked God for help. And I, you know, I, I've told this story before, but I had, the, my next thought was, well, my prayer was, get me out of this. And my next thought was, no, you need to go through this and oh. come out to the other side of it. And then you can do that. And I was like, that wasn't you. That was not me. That's not yeah. my thinking. And I realized that at that time, it was like an overwhelming experience for you. And I'm, I don't know. That's not the way I think. 
But it was, boy, I was at the bottom. Pain is the touchdown. Pain is the touchdown. It's a, sometimes you have to have a pretty tedious beating <laughs> to get to that point. And so many of us alcoholics can really take a beating. Really take a beating. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things, too, that the educational variety of the spiritual awakening or spiritual experience, um, for me, I think it was one of those things that as I slowly got that education, that awakening, it made it so that I could see those times when my higher power was showing up. Because once I got to a point where I was able to see my own experience rather than trusting yours, then, yeah. you know, you've had these spiritual experiences and these really cool things happen and then something happens for me, then I was able to look back over my life and just go, oh my God, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened. And I saw that, that I had this connection in a way that I was never um, aware of. Looking back and reviewing over things that have happened, you could see things exactly. working out in a way that you... Exactly. And it was one of those things that, going forward, I now had my own experiences to pull from in trusting that I'm going to be cared for going forward as well. Things work out. It's good stuff. Really good. Alex, thanks for joining us. Now, don't go anywhere because we've got our next segment, the old timers. Watch out for that owl! <laughs> It's time for our old timers question from a listener. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Sunny. <laughs> you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org or email give a hoot at boiledowlaa.org. We don't have any questions yet, hint, hint, so we're making them up. Please send a question. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Tammy in Florida writes, what's the difference between an open and a closed meeting? What's the difference between an open and a closed meeting? An open meeting is for anyone to come visit AA and see what goes on at a meeting. A closed meeting is for anyone who thinks they may have a problem with alcohol. That's it in a nutshell. That's right? it. That's yeah. You know, some of these things really are just that simple. But the thing is, until you know it, it makes all the difference in the world. It's like looking at that meeting schedule when you go to the website, when you search for AA, or if you happen to have one of the paper ones, and like, well, what the hell is an open meeting? Right. What's a closed... I don't know. What do I do? Is it exclusive? What is this closed thing? Is that an exclusive? You know, also, before I got sober, just the idea of anonymity was like a secret society. What's going on there? And when I got sober, I called the guy who ultimately, who now is my sponsor. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He got sober two years earlier. And he said, well, there's a meeting tonight. Hang on a second. I've got to check, make sure it's an open meeting. It might be a closed meeting. I'll check. So I sat there and was going, what is this? And 
am I going to be excluded? I mean, you have to have some kind of a <laughs> test or something. And in fact, I think he was wrong because I had yeah. a desire to stop drinking. Exactly. But he was he didn't have an understanding at that time of exactly what a closed meeting meant. He thought that a closed meeting meant it was only for members of Alcoholics Anonymous. So he checked, and I had to get over that, and it took me months to figure out what the difference was, but really it's very simple. Yeah, very simple. You know, and, and the reason for the, the difference between the open and closed meetings um, is that um, there are also people who come to AA um, to get informed who yeah. are not alcoholics. Um, I've been to uh, many meetings where medical school students have shown up and part of their uh, their curriculum was to attend a certain number of AA meetings to just kind of get informed about AA. I, I definitely want that to be available for people to come in and, and just find out what's going on. But I've also been in a meetings uh, in a meeting where uh, you know the closed nature of the meeting was really important. I was not present for this particular story, but I, uh, a home group talked about this at one point where they were a closed meeting, but a woman was bringing her child to the meeting. And the child's teacher came to the meeting because it was a closed meeting. And there was a problem. The teacher did not want to attend that meeting because here was a child that she taught. I see. Who was not an alcoholic. It was a closed meeting. She, um, she the kid wanted... shouldn't have been there. And she wanted to protect her anonymity in exactly. the school system. Oh, I saw Mrs. So and So at the at the meeting that my mommy goes to last night. Right. You know, I mean that. So there's reasons for closed meetings, there and are. people might want to protect their anonymity, and that's why we have both kinds. Exactly. Well, going touching off of what Sam said, I was let's see, sober four or five years when I went to nursing school. There were, you know, you'll. It's in the psych section, apparently. That's where we end up. But uh, <laughs> that's where alcoholics end up. That's that's where that's where we end up. Yes. Um, and there is just a lot of misunder. Normal people see us when they identify us. We are in our cups and we are unlovely. There are a mm. lot of people rolling around out there, you know, that you don't identify as an alcoholic because they're living a new sober life. And people get a, it is an accurate portrayal of us drinking, but, you know, that recovery aspect when our lives change, you know, that is, that is so totally missed. And um, hearing, because as far as I know, I was the only person in recovery at, in my nursing school. I did not broadcast that fact. Um, I just sort of spied on the conversations, and I was like, "Jesus Christ, you got a low opinion of us." <laughs> and um, what were they saying? What, what was the opinion? What were they saying? Just that you know, you know that we were just that our willpower sucked, that we were hopeless, that there was no recovery for us, that you know we shouldn't be treated, just mm. that we were you know basically a goddamn blight on society. <laughs> And, um, and I like that, that our willpower sucked because, yeah. I mean, that's what the and, and it misconception is, and is, is that it's a matter of willpower. And, and that's what a, so many of us think when we're coming saying, into. Well, I thought, yeah. That was a misconception of mine. I was like, you know, I'm it's trying a matter of so willpower. hard. And, um, and so I think it's good that, you know, I think we had to go to like 
I didn't really pay attention because I was going to lots of meetings anyway, but uh, two or three meetings um, in AA and, and that sort of stuff. And um, so if I saw one of my, you know, cohorts at a meeting, I was like, yeah, this is the meeting I chose to attend as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and and the nursing student that was with you was like, how do you know all these people, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn hanger on us. <laughs> But um, so so it was good. You know, I remember early on I was given a, a big book and it had a person's name listed in it and it was it was crossed out with a black Sharpie marker. And I was like, holy fuck, you know, closed meetings, open meetings. Obviously, you can be blacklisted from AA, you know, <laughs> which is which is not true. And the fact is that no one can keep me out of a meeting, you know, provided that, you know, I have that desire to stop drinking. Yeah, so if anybody is listening that wonders if they are welcome at an AA meeting, the answer is if you have any idea that you have a problem with alcohol, come to any AA meeting. Absolutely. And people will help you figure that out. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. That's for a closed meeting. If you have any desire whatsoever, then come to a closed meeting or an open meeting. There is no requirement of any type to come to an open meeting. Right. So if you have doubts or if you're a medical student or anything like that, you know, if you cannot honestly say to yourself, I think I might have a desire to stop drinking, then go to an open meeting. There's lots of them. Lots of them. And also, I would would recommend going, if you're just wanting to check out AA and see what it's like, go to a speaker meeting. I was going to say the same. Yep. The speaker meeting, what happens at a meeting is they go around a room very often and people say, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. And that's the way we identify. We do that for ourselves. It's important for me to always be aware that I'm an alcoholic. And I'm recovering. So that's why we do that. And if you don't have to do it, if you don't think you're an alcoholic, just say your name. Yep. And and it goes to the next person. And a speaker meeting, no one's going to call on you and ask any questions or you're not required to talk or anything like that. You can just sit and listen. And the cool thing about a speaker meeting, and I went to speaker meetings uh, a lot in my early recovery, um, is that you get to hear the story arc. You know, I get to hear how much it sucked. I got, I get to hear like how well how alcohol worked, and then it stopped working in one person's life. In one person's life, and what they did about them coming to to recovery, and then what their life is like today. And hearing individual stories at these speaker meetings was a big boon to my early recovery. You get to hear one person's story of how their life turned around. They became happy, joyous, and free, as we say. That's a quote from the big book. Mm-hmm. So I can say it to Alex. <laughs> Are <laughs> and, you calling me a big book thumper? <laughs> <laughs> and we get we get to hear a story like yours. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Glad Absolutely. to be here. Thank you so much for coming, Alex. Lots of fun. Oh, such a sweet little owl. Thanks for joining. <laughs>
Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question on the site. Or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city. Or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Shadow people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.